0: What if getting money to fund your ministry and your business was not as hard as you think? Well, our guest today is going to show us how that there's a grant for everything that you're looking to do. She's secured over $4.5 million in grants over the less than three years, in less than three years' time. And you want to hear her story. Let's go. Welcome to the Monetize Your Ministry podcast. And you get a chance to interact with them, to meet, that's full-time ministry.
1: I'm to
0: a it brings in itself and then opens. I want to provide content and things that can help change lives. And I simultaneously want to, to receive a blessing from that. Now here's your host, Kermode Hans. All right, welcome back. Another episode of the podcast. Another episode that you need to share with someone. So if you're watching this on Facebook, if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, be a good friend and share this episode because we're talking about how to get money. And a lot of times when we talk about ministry and we talk about business, we talk about doing things that make a difference in people's lives. One of the limiting factors is we can't find money. Well, today's episode, we're going to address that. So please make sure you share. And if you are listening to this podcast on some podcasting platform, we're asking you to do us the favor of leaving us a rating and a review because by doing that, you're basically sharing. It. you're helping someone to find the podcast. So today, I want to introduce you to our guest, Ms Charday, Holland Charday, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hello, hello. Thank you for having me.
0: Sade, thank you for for saying yes and agreeing to take some time out of your busy schedule to be on the Monetize Your Ministry podcast. And let me tell our our viewers, our listeners, a little bit about you. Uh, Sade is a licensed clinician and a DEI consultant. She's been featured in New York Weekly, Newsweek, Women Daily Magazine. And she is the founder and uh, leader of an owner of Relevant Connections. And I love your slogan. There's yes. a grant for that. So Chardé, great to have you on here. Uh, we'll be exploring a lot of things, but before we get into anything, mm-hmm. this is the question that I'm sure a lot of people want to hear the answer to. Here we go. Uh, what is something about Chardé that people who may know you or people who may not know you would be surprised to know? Let's let's start with that so we can kind of just you know let our hair down. Let let's just let's just understand who you are.
1: Yeah, so a lot a lot of people who are close to me, they are aware that I'm not as much of an extrovert that other people believe that I am. Okay. However, I still have yet to convince them that I am not always sure of my next step. And so even when it comes to doing this ministry as a full-time career, many people think as though, like, I just knew for sure I would be successful. And I knew, you know, I'm, I'm very straightforward and the decisions that I make, I come across very confident, which is a blessing, but Mm -hmm. it also can be a curse because I'm like, y'all, I still need help. So one thing that people who are really close to me still don't really understand is that um, I second guess myself a lot. And I used to think that that was a very, very bad weakness. But I realized that um, with the gifting that God has given me, it is the same gift that he's given me to remain humble. And so he has planted a lot of gifts and a lot of um, things that I value, that I'm good at and that I'm passionate for. And in the same breath, I've decided that he has given me the spirit of just So that I can stay a little bit closer to him. and I I love
0: that. I love that. And by the way, you just freed someone because a lot of people think the folks that we see out front, the folks we see on podcasts, the folks we see in Newsweek and all of these magazines I just mentioned, they wake up in the morning and they have 100% confidence in everything they're doing. They have no doubts. They don't get butterflies in their stomach. They don't have those moments of saying, what am I even doing? And, and today you're watching two people, because that's me as well, <laughs> who struggle with that confidence, struggle with, should I really be doing this? Am I the right one? And so thank you for saying that you freed someone today. This is, this is worth the price of admission already. So <laughs> let's get a little bit more background. So, Shardé, we've we've worked together before. You actually were leading a ministry, and you allowed me a chance to be a part of a program you were hosting. But give people a little bit more background. Let's just talk about, we talk about ministry. Um, what was your introduction to ministry? I want you to tell them before I tell them.
1: Well, I was born and raised in the church. Uh, my father is actually a pastor.
0: Uh-huh. Um, PK. We're
1: one, yes. We're one of those families that talk about generations in the church. So on one side of my family, I'm sixth generation. On the other side, I'm seven. So. Ooh in there. There's a
0: lot of power in there, right? right?
1: Um I went to Christian school my entire life. I did not step into a public school until I was in college doing an internship as a social worker. Wow. <laughs> so um I definitely understand the concept of ministry that oftentimes can be limiting. And I love the fact that as I've grown in Christ and in my profession, that I now truly can see what ministry is tied to what community is. Um, when I was doing my profession, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. And so I've worked in the prison system, in the uh, court system, in the school system. And so being in that space, I recognized that this is my profession, but oh my, is it ministry.
0: Ooh, and
1: ooh. that is really what allowed me to align monetizing my ministry um, with my actual profession, because it's the fact that I walked into communities, into buildings, into settings every day with individuals who needed resources and did not have it. Mm -hmm. And what I could provide them was cognitive behavioral therapy or was group or mental health services, which was good. And what I could also provide them was the love of Christ that I've, I, I just naturally showed. However, the one thing I know about Jesus Christ is that he provides tangible resources. Oh, and yeah. because of that, I knew that there's a grant for that. And so I started actually writing grants because of my profession so that I could provide resources to the people that I saw every day.
0: All right, so Shadi, you go in there right away. We go right there to the grid, but but I'm gonna pull us back a little bit. So you are a PK. Yeah. You watched ministry up up close, and I know uh, your dad has been very influential, not just in the church, but what I I'll just give a huge shout out to uh, Pastor Hurst. Mm-hmm. What I what I love about your dad's ministry, he's always mentored other ministers. So I, I'll just say this: his his impact has been yeah. multiplied because he's poured himself into others but Absolutely. watching that like at what point like what made you even want to go into social work right cuz that's not one of those i'm going to be a millionaire being a social worker so talk to us about that
1: so, so good question i come from a background of educators and ministers Like Mm -hmm. every, and even my father um, was an educator as well before he went into ministry. And so, sitting at the table with these generations of Christians who all work for the church, whether as an educator or a pastor, there was one thing that I always heard it was that they wish they had more reach. Mm. Oftentimes when you go into the education system, you're confined to the classroom. When you're in the pastoral field, sometimes in that, it's not like that anymore, but there was a certain time where you felt confined to the church. That's just the truth. And so I really wanted to do something that I could move anywhere. I could be very transient in my ministry, in my profession. And as a social worker, I literally can show up anywhere. I've worked in hospitals I've worked in the church I've worked um in prison in court in the community I mean there's so many places that I've worked and I don't need to go back to school for it <laughs> which I love and then but it was because now I, I my ministry and my profession is able to support other people's ministries and other people's professions where they may have limitations because of their their ethics or whatever their title is, I can now be um, an olive branch and a liaison to continue on with that.
0: Yeah. And and I love that. We're just calling it out, right? That you're saying it. My dad was a pastor. Mm-hmm. And even though I'm not a pastor, I'm in ministry as a social worker. Each day I am ministering to people. You said um, prisons, schools, and other places you're doing ministry. Just kind of talk to someone for a little bit who may be doing work like you, right? They're not standing up in front of people preaching. They're not leading in a musical because that's usually the ones we think, right? Music and and preaching. Mm -hmm. Talk to someone just to help them to just kind of step into that realization that they're in ministry, even if they're not like pastoring.
1: Yes. So it, it's funny to me because, first of all, there's a difference between pastor and preacher. Mm-hmm. So when you're talking about someone who's pastor, that means that they have a flock in which they are supporting, that they guide, that mm-hmm. they love on, that they mm-hmm. are continuously feeding into and nurturing. Right. Mm-hmm. And so a preacher is someone who 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 can speak and and does that well and people are able to receive what they're saying in that mm-hmm. moment however they're not necessarily nurturing a specific group of people and so i say that to say in your profession the profession that you have you have an ongoing relationship with whoever you're serving
0: wow which
1: means you are pastoring this group of people within your profession my clients I pastored them as a social worker. If you are an educator, you are pastoring your students because you are literally engaging with them on a consistent long-term basis to ensure growth, to ensure a a direction that will cause them to be prosperous and to grow. That is pastoring. So therefore, Mm -hmm. you are a minister. You are oh, yeah. ministering every day, whether it's finances, making some, some making sure someone is doing financially well, whether it's in nutrition, making sure someone is in physical health and wealth. You are a minister, and you are pastoring every single day.
0: Well, come on, just say just say it already, Pastor Charday. I mean, like <laughs> you you I didn't. No one's taking it there, right? A lot of people will, will will share. Yeah, I'm in ministry, but you you've even taken the term that we usually make synonymous with pastoring and say, listen, if you want to make that term synonymous, we're all pastoring. Cause we're called to, to lead people, to shepherd them, to help them to grow. And I love mm-hmm. that. I mean, listen, I'm going to lean into that. So if you hear that again, I'll give you credit for it, Shadi. <laughs> Thank you. But,
1: and no, I really say it too, just to um, make it, make people who are kind of in that process of, well, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing mm. that. When you break it down in that context. Absolutely. Then you see like, oh, well, yeah. Because everybody can think of someone who is a pastor and they also know people who have preached. Mm -hmm. And there's a difference.
0: Yeah. That's good. Understand that. I love that. I love that. So you study for social work. You talked about your different internships. But it sounds like your journey of even being a social worker a little bit diverse right you mentioned schools you mentioned prison systems the prison like talk to us about even your work journey how were you like is there a particular group like how did you end up doing so many different things just kind of give us a little picture of your journey of us as a social worker
1: i find that question to be funny because it just reminds me of why i went into social work and also the reason the, the answer to your question ahead of t- um, their first question. So the truth of the matter is I didn't know what I wanted to do. Well, I. I wanted, it. I wanted to do everything because I have I'm very passionate. And so part of the reason why I wanted to do social work is because I would not be confined. So I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to be a judge. I wanted to be an educator. And I wanted to, um, like, I really always enjoyed doing, like, youth development and programming and, like, the boys and girls type of thing. And I always loved doing all of that. So when I'm sitting there in college trying to figure out what do I want to do, which department am I going to be a part of, I'm like, they all sound amazing. I want to do it all. But uh, I don't want to be in school forever. (laughs) And uh, when I realized, like, social work is very transient. I can really move and do all of those things in a different capacity without having to worry about going back and getting another degree or, you know, doing something different. And so that really is what played a part. So I've been able to do everything I wanted to do because of social work. So that wanted when I got out, I knew I wanted to work in the prison system because I really enjoy um, law. I enjoy the concept of redemption, the concept of reentry, second chances. And I always wanted to be there to kind of support the underdog and support the guilty who are looking to transform and repent. Wow. I'm very, very strong on that. And um, I wanted to do that as a lawyer, as a judge, but I've been able to do that as a social worker. And yeah.
0: I love that. I love that. Is there any particular one of your places that you've worked, um, groups that you've interacted with that has been your favorite? I know this is like a hard question asking a parent. One of your kids is your favorite, but we're on here today.
1: Yeah. So I I would have to absolutely hands down pick um, my time in a juvenile correctional facility Mm -hmm. where I worked with young men between the ages of 12 to 20 who were incarcerated for a number of years. So this wasn't your detention center where they're there for a week or two or a couple of months. So these are young men who have been adjudicated. They are in prison for a set amount of time. Your worst of the worst. And they definitely created the minister and the social worker that you see today, the person wow. and the character that you see today. I give credit, um, to those young men and, and I'm, I'm grateful every single day that they allowed me to be a part of their journey.
0: I love that. Wow. Yeah. Through your ministry ministering to them administer to you.
1: They really did. They did. Yeah. yeah.
0: So Shari day grant writing, right? That is something I think it's almost one of those things where people think if I could get grants for what I'm doing, This would be, this would crack the code, right? This would get me a a level up. But then for a lot of people, when we start doing grant writing, self-included, we start trying to get any grant, you get those first couple of no's, you're like, this ain't for me. So Mm kind of talk to us about how you got into grant writing and like, like even getting past some of the early rejection, if you had to face that, just talk to us about that.
1: Yeah. So once again, those young men um, are the reason why I went into grant writing. So when I became a social worker um, at the correctional facility, I was, they have what's called pick a post. And so what that means is anytime there is a new person coming onto a role, all of the veterans get to come in and they get to decide what unit they want to be on. So it's kind of a new opportunity to change where you are if you don't like it. Or as a veteran, you just get to stay where you are because you like it. So the process is called pick a post. And as a rookie, I don't get to pick a post. The post picks me. Mm -hmm. And so needless to say, the post that picked me was the um, unit that was the unprovoked assault unit. It was known as the gang unit. It was just a unit that you did not want to
0: be on. And Hold on. You weren't scared? No. Okay, keep going, keep going. Sorry.
1: <laughs> I can talk about that too, though. Um, so, Paul, sorry, I don't want to mess up the flow. But when I was at um, college, um, my HBCU, myself, as well as um, one of my good friends and colleague, we actually were the fir- one of the first people to want to internship at a correctional facility. So we actually went and found the prison that was probably like 30, 45 minutes out the way in order so that we could do our internship there. And our parents, our teachers, professors, they're all like, guys, are you sure? We're like, yes. So they actually approved it because they thought it would change our mind. So that way, when we actually got into the real world, we would be like, oh yeah, this isn't it. So it's like, we'll give you a taste of it. You only go in there twice a week for a couple of hours. Well, listen, both of us, working Mm -hmm. corrections. That's where both of us went at. We just solidified like, yep, this is what it is. And I think Mm -hmm. for us what it is, and I don't want to speak for her, but we've had really good conversations. And I don't know if I've ever articulated this before, but what I realized why I enjoyed corrections is because I realized I'm one mistake away from being there. And as someone who is classified as high achieving, as bubbly, as intelligent, and all of these wonderful things that God has given me, I know that there are moments in my life where I literally could have been sitting in a cell for the rest of my life because of a decision that I was contemplating of making or because of anger or because of whatever. I, I know these moments in my mind. I see them. And I just think about the fact that in that split second as i could be doing 10 years five years or whatever there's someone sitting in the prison that's just like me that has personality that's intelligent that presents well that could be high achieving but because they actually went through with something or because you know they made the wrong turn or whatever the case is they're sitting there and so for me when i work in a prison I really don't see what everybody else sees. Wow. I literally see what could have been me. Wow. And because of that, when I speak to them, when I talk to them, I'm like, I would act like this too if I was here because I would need to put on a whole other persona, but I see you, I see me in you. And for that reason, it's kind of like this thing that that makes me feel like I'm giving back to my old self and that I'm, I'm able to kind of let someone else know like, you 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 can be all right when the time when the time comes so that's a,
0: that's a gift from god that, that ability to connect like that that's a gift from god i just want to acknowledge that that's a gift
1: I that i don't think i've ever articulated that out loud but i think i i'm very confident now like because i'm very tied to that community and i know a lot of yeah. people are just like oh, how did this happen you just don't seem like that yeah. so much so when we talk about um me doing it and now i'm on this unit and I'm, this is me all the time. I'm bubbly. So everybody's like, oh, this girl is not about to last. Lord, they're they going to eat her up alive. Yeah. She she just, she's too happy. Does she not know where she is? And, and so um, that clearly did not happen. The Lord blessed, um, but he blessed because of ministry and passion and purpose, not because of self. And so what ended up happening is um, I recognized that the young men we're not about to engage with me. If I read from this workbook, it was just not going to happen. I was going to have the same problems, if not worse problems than those who were before me. And I quickly had to realize like, how can I make a relevant connection?
0: Mm, That's the word. (laughs)
1: How, How can I identify with their culture beyond race, gender, sexuality, Right. How can I identify with them out, outside of that to make sure that how I'm providing this information for their growth can be meaningful? And in that moment, I've recognized that even though 90 percent of the young men who were sitting in front of me came from black women like myself, we had different cultures. hmm. I did not come from the same family structure, the same environment, the same thought um, pattern. I don't, we we were different cultures. And so part of the work that I do with DEI is really helping people understand that culture is beyond race, gender, sexuality, which oftentimes is what we think about. It's really, there's really 10 elements of culture. And when we, I really dive into what those 10 elements are, it allows us to make relevant connection
0: oh, keep, keep, i love it keep saying that yeah
1: it really does and so yeah. in that moment i recognize that their culture is hip-hop their culture is a cool show or movie their culture is um radio dj host uh art and so i went out and i started looking for who can come in and do something that aligns with whatever the curriculum said that we was supposed to get done So if we're talking about actions, beliefs, and consequences, the ABCs of cognitive behavioral therapy, all right, well, let's see who can come in and now we can do something about a song. And so I had local rappers come in. I had um, DJs and people who were on radio station, radio personalities come in. We had podcast um, individuals come in. And they were able to literally do an activity with the kids that mm-hmm. then tied into whatever the curriculum was. Right. So one of the examples um, I'll share is um, we had a radio um, radio host come in. So mind you, radio personality, they hear them on the, on the radio all the time. So I was like the coolest thing, y'all. I was like, oh my goodness. And it was nothing but God because I didn't even know these people. Um, but he would come in and we had a whole session that talked about the impact of words. You see, because when you're on the radio and you're live, you have to be very careful what you say. You can't just go off of instinct. Your words yeah. have power. Your words have meaning. Your words have consequences. So in the same breath of what does it mean to utilize your words for good versus evil? But also what this, what is the importance of communication? Because the reason why he's a good radio host is because he brings in the audience through the way he communicates right right so as young men how are you communicating how are you utilizing your words in a way that allows people to understand you more in a way that allows people to be able to empathize with you more or you empathize with them that's a whole session and it's all because we had a radio host come in nice. who actually had a mic and they did a couple of things and practiced a couple of things and did some interviews and they're having a good time. But like, okay, so what what were you thinking about? It was really hard to interview him because I had to think about da-da-da. All right. So when something's happening on the spot in life for fighting or all those other things, how can you respond in a way that still mm-hmm. allows your listeners to understand you positively even though it took you by surprise i love it and so i could not pay them what they're worth but what ended up happening is i would give them stipends and of course uh i started using my own money and my husband said um honey you are supposed to go to work to make money not to use your money okay (laughs) and uh i was like you're right so i started looking for grants and you know started applying for grants because of this program that I was doing. I was doing a youth development program inside of the prison. And I wanted to be able to give stipends to these volunteers who are coming in who weren't charging me or I wasn't giving them their worth at all, but they were tied to the community and I wanted to give them thank yous. So that's how I started with the grants, um, doing that. And then that kind of moved to do, getting larger grants in order to have um, reentry support. They would literally walk out with nothing. And I was like, I'm teaching you all of these things on how to think and move. But if you can't live, you're not about to think about, you're going to forget everything we just talked about, no matter how well you're doing. And so um, started getting grants that we could do uh, reentry packages to allow them to get some clothes, some gas, some food, things of that nature so they can be successful.
0: I love it. So it sounds like you grew with them. Mm-hmm. Right. So as they, as their needs, as their needs kept being revealed, you kept seeing, okay, I have to meet this need, but in meeting their needs, it sounds like you're developing a skill set, right? You're yeah. developing this skill of grant writing and you're doing this now. Cause as you mentioned this, this is a job. Mm-hmm. At what point do you start saying, you know, I can write grants, not just for my job. I can write grants for other people. When did that come into the picture?
1: When they didn't decide not to give me overtime for all the stuff I was doing. They're like, let's get it,
0: Okay, so that's the real answer here. Like, wait, wait, okay.
1: <laughs> it's like, I mean, but, but I, I say that jokingly, but I'm once again speaking to people who find that you feel like you're just doing your job, but you're actually doing more than your job. You're doing ministry within your say job. That. Uh And so what you've done is you've limited the capacity in which God has wants to use you because you keep saying it's your job, but it's not, it's not, that was not my job. My job was not to get people to come into the prison to supplement my curriculum. That was not my job. That was ministry. And so what grants did is they were able to reimburse me for ministry. They were able to, so I was able to get a stipend or things like that. I mean, there was times where we literally hosted um a whole week and um Pastor Montgomery and the great group that he has towards Montgomery, he came in and was there for a whole week doing um some sessions with the boys, basketball, um positive thinking, all these types of things. Listen, I still had to do my job because my job was to run groups and things like that. But I also wanted to make sure we had this in the evening. Well they wasn't going to pay me for that but I also recognized the time and the resources that I took. So just like somebody else got a stipend, I gave myself a stipend okay. and I wrote it in the grant because okay. I'm the project director and coordinator of this this event. Okay. And just and so th- that's what I mean by that's not your job that's ministry and there's a grant for that.
0: <laughs> and
1: that's when you know I started writing different things for my dad <clears throat> and cuz you know he does such great work and I'm like mm-hmm something here next thing you know you know 2500 turns into 5000 and it keeps going and going and when i um was at the prison we got 40 dollars $40, for them oh. over the course of the time that i was there we were able to support over 350 young men to receive programming and re-entry resources it came to the point where when the young men, in order church and state i know somebody listening talking about is this ethical Listen, I talk all my T's, okay? I'm a social worker and a Christian, okay? I believe, I understand, okay? I looked it up, everything. I talked to my warden and what it was is it needed to come through, guess what? A church. The only way I could do what I was doing in regards to the, the longer scope, having the people come in was fine. But if in regards to like the overtime of coming in after my set work hours or coming in on the weekend, or even the boys getting in contact with us for reentry was if it came through the church wow
0: that's interesting
1: that's the only way and so i utilized my church as a vehicle because we have prison ministries and many times people are looking at prison ministries in regards to adult population but there's a whole nother space when it comes to juveniles and so what would happen is if i was not there when they were leaving they knew they can go to the corner of Tarkington and Lee Road, right there on the bus stop any Saturday, Wednesday, whatever. And I would be there and they would come to get their gift card. So you would have young men fresh out of prison walking up at 11 a.m. on a Saturday like, is Miss Hollins here?
0: Mm. I love it.
1: To the I point where min- even, min- when min- I, even when I wasn't there, because I was like, because people would call like, oh. Sade, so, um, a young man is here. I said, listen, I'm just going to leave these gift cards here with y'all. So now I go and young men are coming to the church and the members of the church who also participate because they're coming in too. We, we went every Saturday, every Saturday we, ha- we did a, a worship service with them. And so now members of the church are learning and knowing members of, of the, the prison. And so when they would come, they said, good to see you. Welcome home.
0: I love you. Welcome. Nice. Mm.
1: If they needed um, if they need a community service because they were on probation or parole, guess where they did it? Because you it. have a pool pantry.
0: Yeah. Shade, you you're you're hitting on so many things here. And I know we our time is limited. So I want to try to get in a few things because there's so much more I want to ask you. This comes off of this, but I'll keep myself disciplined. All right. <laughs> so relevant connections. At yes. what point do you say? I'm starting some on my own. Like, where does where did where did that come from? How long ago? And like, just talk to us about the genesis of that.
1: Yeah. So, of course, you know, there's a whole lot of COVID baby, COVID um babies when it comes to both literal babies and businesses. <laughs> <There we laughs> and go. I had both. I had a COVID baby and I had a COVID business. So <laughs> when um I was home and you know just really looking at the needs of the community and just how. I mean, it was just like, wow, this is crazy. I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, and um, you can Google us. We're on on top list of everything, and none of it's good. And um, I just really saw the need for the church. And so what I realized is I started working also as um, a funder. I oversaw um, some, some county dollars with a total of $18 million for all of The work that was done in behavioral health and prevention and things of that nature doing great work and so i was looking at it and i realized that none of the people who were doing grassroots work Mm -hmm. could apply for the funding that i saw every day because they did not meet the criteria they didn't have this, whatever certification, they didn't have whatever structure you needed in order to get these dollars. Yet as a funder, I was, we were sitting in meetings begging, like who, we wanna give this money to someone who can actually do something. We looking for people who can actually do this, who look like this, who can serve this population. And we would look at the list and we would always come up short. And in my mind, I'm thinking, Mr. Johnson been doing this for 30 years. What do you mean he has a youth program over here? oh my girl what's her name yeah she's a whole nurse she does and but none of them could get the money that was right in front of me and when i heard the need of the funder and i recognized the people who i know who do this work i was like i i need to be that liaison because i understand that funders are looking for you but what ends up happening is one of two things one when you do apply, it's bad because you don't know how to write a grant. That's just the truth, right? And the reason why it's probably fall short, and not you, come on, I'm sorry, but I mean the world. Hey, how y'all
0: yeah, doing? we I'm, I'm good. <laughs> okay. Yeah.
1: You don't. Um, the reason why is because you don't know how to write a grant, and I say that for several reasons. People think that just because they're intelligent, they can write a grant. Because I went to school, I had my doctorate, all those things, right? But there is a strategic way to craft your story in a way that it aligns with the funder while also showing that you know what you're doing. I love it. So, what happens to a lot of us, and there's so much that I could say, what happens to a lot of us is we write a grant as people who are passionate, not as people who someone's going to invest in. And so I understand both of those spaces because I was the person who was super passionate about the boys wanting them to get the money. But I was also the funder who was reading it and like, yeah, you didn't answer these questions. How does like what what's really going on? And so taking those two experiences and merging them together where now I'm able to craft proposals that truly speak to your purpose and your passion, but also aligns with the rubric that I know they're going to be utilizing to score you because I created the rubric. I mm-hmm. scored the, the RFA. I was there I'm sitting at the table. So I understand how to make all of this come together because I lived it on both sides as a social worker, as a grant writer and as a funder. And once I realized sitting at these tables that funders are looking for the people I know, I sit up. There's a grant for that. Relevant
0: connection. You know, I love it. You're, someone says you're perfectly designed to help the former version of yourself. And it sounds like that's what you're doing with relevant connections. I want to ask you. So at some point you started charging for this. And yeah. I, I'm going to try to get these questions in quickly. Oh, As well, okay. did, you, did you did you ever feel like or did you ever have to overcome the should I be charging for that? Because this is a ministry that they're doing and should I, like, did you have to go through that? Or did anyone ever question you on that? To this day, to Ooh, this day, talk about it, talk um, about it real quick.
1: So, of course, I did not charge for real in the beginning. Um, I definitely, I I did not charge in the beginning. I reached out to people and whoever bit and said, let's go, we did it, right? Wasn't charging. I want to say I started off by charging like $500 for maybe like five grants or something like Mm -hmm. that, right? Because I really just wanted a proof of concept. Um, As time went on, things did get I received more of the funding because people were got funding. So what happened is I'm you gave me five hundred dollars. Now we got fifty thousand dollars. Like okay, let's keep this thing going, right? Um, to this day, people paying for the service is definitely one of the hardest conversations to have, especially when it comes to people of faith. Um, and I say that because we feel as if man we don't even there's so many things in my mind Uh, i want to come back and like break it down but so there's two things one we feel as if because i'm working with someone who's in ministry they should do something for free so that's just Mm true right talk
0: about it Mm -hmm. and
1: then there's also the concept of grants being like the lottery and that you can't guarantee that i'm going to win so can i just pay you if i win Mm -hmm. neither are true so i'm going to start with the lottery okay The lottery is pure chance. Mm -hmm. There is no real strategic concept to the lottery. And that is not grant writing. When people ask me, can I pay you if we get a grant or what is the guarantee? I tell them, there is no guarantee that you will get a grant. However, the guarantee is in the process. Mm. And what I tell them is, when you have to show up to court and you're looking for a lawyer. Do you go to your lawyer and say, can you guarantee me that I won't have to go to jail or that I'll get off? Scouting? I have pay this ticket. No lawyer is going to guarantee you that, but you are still going to pay them up front. Why? Because their track record shows that you are better with them than you are without. I love it. They can guarantee the process of their professionalism, the process of their expertise, so that while you're working with them, although you may not get off scot-free, you are in a better place today than you were without them. And that's the same thing with grant writing. When we work with you, it's not just about putting words on paper. We are literally structuring your entire thought process. We are putting together your evaluation tools, your measurements. We are putting together together your program um, structure and how many days a week are you doing it? Who's your target population? And you're walking away with all of that. You're walking away with all of that. And my process also proves results because if I can, let me read them for you. They're right here in my brain. I love Re- it. relevant connections. In less than three years, we secured over four point five million dollars for our clients. Ninety four percent of our clients are first time grant recipients, which means that 94 percent started with zero dollars. We specialize in getting funding for the underdog because I understand the concept that even though this is your first time being funded, this is not your first time doing the work. And so you need to be with someone and partner with someone who understands how to tell your story in a way that shows that you have been profitable without funding. So imagine if you were to receive it. That is the story you want to pull across to the funder. And you have to be able to outline it in a way where they look at it and say, oh, why would I give them money if they've never been funded? To, oh my goodness, imagine if we did fund them but you can't do that with just a regular grant writer you need a relevant connection
0: <laughs> hold on if you have a mic just drop the mic right now right shot they just dropped the mic cuz that you you that this is obviously passion is aligned your, yeah. your proficiency is aligned your experiences are aligned and this is the this is the result of this and for those of you watching this this is what happens when you you find your ministry and yeah. you take that ministry out into the world Right, there is impact. And here's I'll just say this without you saying this. There are people you're gonna impact who you will never meet, Charde. There mm. are people whose lives you're gonna touch, who you will never know their names, and they'll never know your name. But because you stepped in to monetize your ministry, you're yeah. you get helping get funds for people. And and I want to just slip this in. Let me see how much time I got. Okay. So one of the reasons, and you didn't say this, one of the reasons why you cannot more confidently charge is. We talked about this, and before we started, you're investing in yourself.
1: Yes,
0: you're investing in yourself. You have a coach, and and, and you're not you're not paying her with thank yous, right? You're right. investing in yourself, and just as we wrap up, just talk about for the next thirty seconds the importance for someone who is looking to monetize their ministry, the importance of investing in yourself.
1: I recognize that I could not charge people. The money that i deserve if i was not willing to give someone else the money they deserve Mm -hmm. how am i going to want somebody to pay me to do what i am an expert in fifteen thousand dollars if i can't give somebody else the same amount to do what they're expert in Mm -hmm. we can't ask for funding you want a grant or a funder to give you fifty thousand dollars but you won't invest fifteen what does that mean what does that say and so oftentimes We I want to encourage people that if you want to see growth, you have to invest because regardless of what you do, you're going to be investing. So you can invest to maintain or you can invest to grow. The choice is
0: I love it. All right, Shari Day, somebody's out here and they are watching you and they're saying, I need a grant, right? I'm doing something with young people, I'm doing something with men, I'm doing something for what for. For couples, I'm doing something for teenagers, and I've been doing the thing. But but money is my limiter. How can they connect with you? Tell them how they can work with you. Tell us what are some of the things you got going on now? Because I've seen you 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 you're you're, 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 uh, you're putting more stuff out there. So just don't don't hold back. Just share it, and I'll put the links up here.
1: Okay, so definitely um on social media platforms, relevant connections all across the board, whether that is Instagram, Facebook. LinkedIn. Um, You can also send us an email at um, my name is Hollins, H-O-L-L-I-N-S at relevantconnections.org. An easier one may be support at relevantconnections.org. You want some support, so support at relevantconnections.org. And of course, our website is www.relevantconnections.org. But if you um, are interested in investing to grow and you're tired of investing and maintaining, then I invite you to reach out and to 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 talk with us um be a part of our connectors portal if you just want to get your feet wet a little bit so that way you it's a monthly subscription to get inside of my brain and in, exi- inside of different resources so that way you can either learn and realize that i do know what i'm talking about a little bit and get some um vip one-on-ones for q a's we have one today actually on our for our weather with wednesdays and you can learn more there, but I I can tell you, based off of the process, that whatever it is that God has put on your heart to do, whether it's in the four walls of the church or beyond in your nine to five, my honey, my child, there is a grant for that.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it, man. There is sometimes when people have their slogans, you're like, that is a winning slogan. That's a winning <laughs> slogan right there. And Thanks. you helped me as well. I'll tell you, you, you talked about the process. Just- people paying you for the process not you, you know because a lot of us we will second guess ourselves because we're not a hundred percent guaranteed okay. but i'm guaranteeing you a process that you'll be better with this process than better mm-hmm. if you would try to do this on your own and for someone if that's what's holding you back understand step into what you have learned the things you've been doing, the things you've been helping people step into that thing. Don't step away from it. Lean into that. And Shardé, as you just shared, there are different ways you're monetizing your ministry, right? And you have a community now and you're using the internet to be able to pour the knowledge and the access to your mind into so many other people. And so make sure you go to at Relevant Connections and follow uh, Sharday and the work she's doing and go to her website, RelevantConnections.org. There's a grant for that. And for you, if you are watching this and you've been sitting on something and God has give, put it in your heart, put it in your mind, I just want to challenge you. Take mm-hmm. that idea, bring it to life. Someone needs exactly what you have. Go do it. Thank you for listening to the Monetize Your Ministry podcast with kimon Hines. For more information, visit our website at www.monetizeyourministrypodcast.com That's www.monetizeyourministrypodcast.com Find us on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Please share this episode with someone who needs it. Let's increase our income and impact.